So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for our first service in this place. And uh, I'm asking that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would fill, fill this house. That you would fill the atmosphere with revelation. God, we lean in tonight to hear from heaven. We're asking, even tonight, that you would release a banner in the spirit. That you would release a proclamation into the atmosphere. God, as we own this place, we own this land, that over this place, over this facility, you would declare your name. You would release revelation of what it is you're doing at the end of the age. God, that you'd raise up a forerunner people. You'd raise up a forerunner people ready to prepare the way ready for the return of the Lord. So, Lord, we love you. We love you. We are greatly thankful, Lord. God, I'm asking, come. Come. Release revelation tonight. In the name of Jesus. Good, everybody agreed, said amen. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. And we're going to finalize the series that we've been on for the last um, eight weeks or so. This will be our eighth eighth session about the Father Heart of God. And I think it's um, very fitting for us to be ending our series on the Father Heart in our first service, in our new place. The Lord is... He is perfect in poetry. He, he knows how to write the storybook ending, and he does it over and over and over and over, and he just keeps doing it continuously through our lives every single time, but I think it's so interesting. It's our first service in our new facilities, and then Father's Day is next week, and so here we are, and we're ending a, a, a couple-month-long teaching on the Father Heart of God, and I, and I really believe that what the Lord's doing is that he's going to um, allow me to host a, hoist a flag in the spirit tonight, to to release a proclamation in the spirit um, over who we are as a people, over us as a community, over this place, over these facilities. That something's going to be pro, uh, proclaimed tonight. Um, that's going to testify to the principalities and powers in the air. It's going to testify to the angels. Uh, in the heavenly realms, and it's going to speak to our hearts, hopefully, but that's not so much my, my biggest point. I want to proclaim something um, of the reality of what's coming, and I want to prophesy what God's getting ready to do. I want to proclaim that into the air real strong tonight, and I just believe the Lord has set it up so that we can um, get an entrance into some of the, the uh, redemptive calling that He's brought us brought us to and, and bringing us into, and and he's going to bring some things and release them upon Atlanta. It's not simply through us. We have a small part of the, of the big picture of what he's doing, the mosaic of what he's doing in the city. But I want, to, I want to release some things into the Spirit and hoist a flag in the Spirit that's going to declare of uh, the works of the Lord that are to come and, 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 a, and a prophetic reality that God is releasing. And um, I think it's just it, it's poetry and the Spirit. I mean, he's the God that begins everything in a garden full of romance with a man and a woman, and he ends it in a garden full of romance with a man and a woman. It's called the New Jerusalem, and he ends the, he ends the, the reality of creation with a wedding between Jesus and his bride. And, and I mean, who is the God that's like him? And so 
I looked at this and I went, yep, you're definitely setting us up to proclaim a thing tonight. So, that's where I'm at. So, in considering everything, I, I um, was impressed that we needed to end the series on the spirit of Elijah and talk about what it is, this, this turning that God has prophesied will come at the end of the age uh, in the generation and the Lord returns. And we pray often for the release of the spirit of Elijah from Malachi chapter 4. We pray often, uh, asking God to do that in our city, but we have, uh, haven't really instructed much upon it and, and explained it very much, and so I want to do that. And I want to release this into the atmosphere. And so uh, let's look at Malachi 4. I'll read this a couple times tonight. But it says, there's a day coming, verse 1. Behold, the day is coming. It's burning like an oven. And all the proud and all who do wickedly, they will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord. They'll neither, uh, will leave them neither root nor branch. He says, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out like stall-fed calves. And you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. That is not simply a metaphor. That's talking about Jesus' earthly procession upon the planet when the armies of the nations gather against Jesus. And the Bible declares multiple times that a fire will go before him and devour, burn up all his enemies. That's not figurative. That's a reality that's coming. The end of the age, Jesus is going to... uh, He's going to descend to the earth, and the armies of the earth will gather against him. There's going to be a great harvest prior to that day, before the day of the Lord. And that's part of the day of the Lord events. And when those gather against the Lord Jesus, one of the things that that comes out, there's about six or seven things that's released from the Lord. One of those things is fire. And it literally devours the people. And the armies of the Lord will be with him. And that's what he's saying here. He goes, you will actually step upon their ashes. Huh. I just thought that was a little figurative, sort of a metaphor. No, that's reality. He said, on the day that I do this, says the Lord. Verse 4, he says, now remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and, and the judgments. And then he says in verse 5, these interesting things. It says, Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The Lord says, I will do this. He goes, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before that day, that great end time warfare. You know, the people kind of got the, the picture from the movies that uh, the, the battle of Armageddon at the end of the age is sort of between, you know, America and Russia. And, you know, sort of everybody gets nuked, and then everything blows up, and then somehow Jesus is there, and who knows? The good guys win, somehow. It's just not like that. And it is about the, the, the wicked of the earth. They're, they're going to be gathered against the Lord and His anointed. Why do the nations rage? Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot a vain thing? What's the vain thing they're plotting? They're plotting to fight Jesus. And the Lord's answer is, no, I've set my king, my king on his holy hill in Zion. He goes, I have chosen a world ruler. He will rule from Zion. He'll rule in Jerusalem. And none of the kings of the earth can stop that reality. There's an age to come where Jesus will rule. And none of those that would choose otherwise can stop this reality. This is something that's coming in our future. That's called the day of the Lord, beloved, when that happens. Well, the Lord gives us this wonderful promise. He goes, before that day, I will send 
the spirit of Elijah. And what's the Lord saying? He goes, I have a preemptive strike. And I am going to release something in the earth of power and revelation. And it's going to cause generations to turn. And the Lord prophesied through Malachi that there is going to be a massive turnaround before the day of the Lord. And many, many verses give us the picture that there is a great reformation, a great transformation coming in the earth. There's going to be a great break-in of power. The spirit of revival is going to sweep the nations. And this prophesied release of the spirit of Elijah is that. And so when we pray for the spirit of Elijah, we ask God to break in upon our city with the spirit of Elijah, we're asking for this turning of the hearts of the generations before the day of the Lord. We're asking for a stroke of mercy to be released on our, on our city with power where generations would turn to the Lord. And I was thinking this week, and I was looking at the, uh, the testimony that's released in our city right now. And there's a, there is a storyline. That's really all a testimony is, isn't it? Just a storyline. Tells the story of what the, the state of affairs is. And the testimony that's in our city right now, I, I, I found a research site, and they researched uh, church growth. And um, we have, get this, we have 60 Plus, and it's really about 66 or so, 67, depends on how you count the metro Atlanta area. But we have 60 plus churches of uh, 2,000 or more members in Atlanta. We are uh, the, one of the mega church capitals uh, in the nation. In other words, we have more uh, mega churches per capita than almost any other city. It, and it, think about that, 60 churches of 2,000. That's, that's intense. And um, a lot of those ministries are doing wonderful things. In fact, the, the church that we purchased this from, right here at Crossroads, they're, they're in 4,000 or so they have in their church. And it's wonderful. There's many, many people that are, are getting touched and, and stuff through their ministry and, and other churches. And, um, but they're, they're not all necessarily, you know, sort of blowing it open for the kingdom. And here's why. Because there's the storyline that we have this many large churches. The storyline in our city is very difficult to hear. And, it, and it, it breaks down like this. We are one of the top nations nationally in, uh, in abortions. We are, a, uh, we are the southern hub for abortions. In fact, when we go and siege uh, the Surges Center there on Spring Street, we stand there and we, we stand there and we pray with life tape over our mouths. We ask God for justice to break in, to shut that scourge down, shut down the murder centers. We stand there and ask, but we, occasionally we'll talk to some of the people that are going there that are, you know, accompanying somebody. And very rarely do you find somebody that's from like, you know, uh, Gwinnett or from Atlanta. I mean, almost all the time they're coming in from surrounding areas and many times across state lines. We're like, we're like the southern hub, and I, and I believe we have, six, we have six abortion centers in Atlanta. Is that right? Twelve. Double it. Twelve abortion centers in Atlanta, and we are like a mecca for abortion. And then you, you, you look down the line, and you go, okay, well, that, that's bad. And, and we're praying against it. We want to see that turned around. But I remember when um, one of our staff, Caleb uh, Andrews, he brought in a, a, it was a periodical that was 
released by um, some law enforcement agencies. And uh, I don't even know really what it was. It was a, a, a newspaper that these law enforcement agencies put out. And it talked about Atlanta as uh, one of the top sex slave trade trafficking cities in the nation. Top five by some reports. Some places have us at number one. They say it's because the airport. You can fly in and fly out of Atlanta for uh, a couple hundred dollars. And uh, we're near the borders. And so um, many times what will happen is they'll steal um, and kidnap young children. Many times they're 12, 10-year-old young girls. And then people will fly into Atlanta to participate in, in sex slave trade. And we are top five, and some reports have us as top one, number one, nationally. And so you look at that, and then you go, you know, well, what about other areas? Well, we, we are, um, with the gay and lesbian, the bi and transgender community, we are one of the make, uh, major hubs for uh, those that are in the homosexual lifestyle. In fact, in June this month, the 22nd through the 24th, and we're going to actually connect with a couple ministries on this, but there's the, uh, the large Atlanta Pride event, and they, they gather about a quarter of a million people. 250,000 people. It's advertised in their literature, and um, they gather a quarter of a million there to celebrate being gay and, 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 and the homosexual lifestyle. And when you go there, and I've said this before, but you just, you've got you've to go and get in there and see this thing. Because when you go there, all the businesses there around Piedmont Park, they fly a homosexual flag with the rainbow colors to let, let everybody know that we support this and we're for this. And then when you walk through the park and you show up, you see that Delta and Bell South and, and all the big Atlanta-based businesses, they've got advertising that's uh, all homosexually oriented. Like, you wouldn't see that advertising at the Braves game, but when you go to the Pride event, you know, there's, there's advertising in, inviting men to take another man on a trip to Paris. So I remember the one I'm thinking of. It said, uh, bring your friend to Gay Paris. And so, there, see, these are things we don't talk about because we like to live, let's just be honest, we like to live in spiritual fantasy, don't we? We'd rather hear the good testimony. But the storyline is the storyline. Whether we look at it or not, it's still the story. And we've got, to, we've got to be able to look hard in the face of these things and ask the Lord, what is your opinion of that? What are you feeling and thinking about that, Jesus? And get his heart on the matter. And that's what a prophetic church at the end of the age will do. They will get Jesus' heart on the testimony that's being released. And so what we're going to do is we're hooking up with a couple ministries, um, uh, the Christ the King Church and, um, and Daystar, and they've rented a booth, and we're gonna, I, I want to get as many of our staff, I'm just going to, I haven't mentioned this to anybody yet, but we've already found out the details on it, as many of our, our staff and family and whoever that wants to, uh, that can, we're going to schedule and we're going to set up uh, with this group. They've already set it up. Uh, we're going to call it Spiritual Readings and Dream Interpretation. And we're just going to go prophesy the word of the Lord directly into the hearts of these people that are bound and caught 
by this wicked spirit that's trying to possess our city. We're going to release a different testimony. And I, you know, I, I want as many of our prophetic people as, as can. Anybody that's, and if you just, if you want to be prophetic, that's a good day to be prophetic. <laughs> We're going to, and we'll nail it. We'll nail it in the prayer room in our prayer meetings for a, a week or two. And, and then we'll, we'll send the, we'll send the, the teams down to speak the word of the Lord. And I, I, mean, I just, I'm going to believe God this year just so we get names and addresses and we get the, the word of the Lord and unpack people's hearts and just really testify that there's one name that's great and greatly to be praised and that name is Jesus. Really proclaim that in that place. Where sin is abounding, that grace and mercy would be released. And... Um, so yeah, you got to get in on that. You got to go down there. Last year, I remember we we prayed real hard and we went into some wild times of travail over that event, and uh, God just gripped us with intercession that week. Many of you guys remember that, and uh, I remember that Friday night, my wife and I were going down there just to to try to you know stir up conversations and just look around and scout it out, and and uh, we go down there. And we walk up to the stage, and I, they have the main sound stage, and they've got all sorts of speakers and everybody down there. And the sound stage is completely blown up. In fact, as we were walking into the park, they were saying, uh, everything's canceled tonight, the, 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 the event's shut down. I went, what do you mean shut down? They go, well, yeah, the, the stage blew up. And so we, we walk in, and my wife and I walk up to the guys that had set up the stage, and the guy's like, in all my years, and he's, he'd been setting up sound and doing outdoor events for years and years, and he goes, in all my years, I've never seen anything like this. And I said, well, what was it? He said, this wind. He said, it was wild. He said, this wind. He said, I saw it coming, and it was blowing through all the, the booths out there, and it was throwing them up in the air. And he said, I thought, and he you know, threw out some choice words, you know, and some expletives, and he said, I thought, beep, 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 and, and the thing, he said it was like a whirlwind, and he said, and it came in, and it came right at the stage, it lifted the whole thing up, and it shattered the whole stage, he goes, and then it just disappeared, it's unbelievable. We need a turning, huh? Anyway, and so that's part of the storyline. And then part of the storyline is this, that, right? I mean, just amazing in a, in a real kind of sneaky sort of way. And, and unless you're paying attention, and you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't notice this, but there is a massive insurgence of false religions in our city right now. Massive insurgence. In fact, they're building, and, and you wouldn't know this unless you... Had, had been over there, and I've talked about it a little bit, but they're building the largest Hindu temple in the nation, in Gwinnett. The largest Hindu temple in the nation. In fact, it's, it's, just, it's in the largest Hindu temple in North America, in Gwinnett. And, and I, I told the testimony a few weeks ago, we went over there and we talked to the guy, and we just sat there and we were praying. <laughs> so funny. Will Ford and I were sitting there praying, and, and Liz and a couple others were in there, my boys... <laughs> Shut it down, God. I mean, we're praying, and Will's doing the, you know, he's in the intercession. God, we just proclaim your name of this place. Shut it down, God. And this guy walks up, and, and Will goes, oh, shut it down. And we got friends with us here, Lord. I mean, the guy was knocking on our window as we were cursing his 
Hindu temple. Yet it still stands, and it's, we're, they're building it. And we're having this massive, and Hinduism is just, it's bell worship. If you, if you do the roots and you study the thing out, it's bell worship. It's what it is. And so that's going on. And so it's, we're in this situation where we have this testimony that's released in our city that's exceedingly negative in spite of the um, lots of Christian activity. 60 plus churches of 2,000 or more. And in spite of all the Christian activity, we are, we are not just not transformed. The testimony of our city is sin is reigning. And there needs, there needs to be a shifting, a turning. And a release of something in our city that would, that would shock the system in, in a dramatic measure and turn this thing around. And I'm not appealing, and, and we support, obviously, political movements and things like that, that anybody wants to, wants to do righteousness, we're for you. But I, I'm not principally appealing to any other court system than the one that governs the universe. And that's the, that's the court and that's the throne that we must appeal to in order to see a shifting and a turning. And I want to declare that there is a shifting and a turning that is coming, absolutely is coming, and will be released in our city. And that God is going to create a new testimony. He's going to shut down these murder mills. He's going to turn around the worship of Baal. He's going to, he's going to br- break in with revival in the gay and lesbian, bi and transgender community. He's going to move in power and where the church has been large in numbers, he's going to make the church large in spirit in our city. He's going to release a great turning and I'm proclaiming that and prophesying that our city will be open to the King of Glory. The gates of Atlanta will be open to Jesus and God's power and kingdom will be released in this city in the name of Jesus. That will happen. The eternal father will have his reign and the son will have his glory in Atlanta. And so God says this. He says, I have a plan and I'm going to release a turning and that turning I'm going to release, it's before this great and terrible day of the Lord And it is this, I will send Elijah the prophet and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. And you look at those verses and you go, now what is that talking about? What is that about? How exactly does that work? I want you to turn with me to Luke 1 and let's look at the the features. There's an end time action plan that God is going to release. And it is that, releasing the spirit of Elijah. Luke 1, we get the, the prophetic picture of what the spirit of Elijah is, we get it through John the Baptist's life. 
his father was offering incense before the Lord. The, uh, he had been chosen by a, a lot, had been cast, and he'd been chosen to go offer incense before the Lord. And he goes in to offer the incense on behalf of the, the people of his, his uh, clan, his, his, his city there. And when he does, the angel of the Lord comes and begins to proclaim things to Zechariah. He says to uh, John the Baptist's father, he, he says to him, uh, your son is going to be a fulfillment. This is, I'm giving the paraphrase, I'll read it in a second. But he goes, he's going to give you, he's going to be the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. He goes, he will fulfill Malachi's prophecy. And here are the ways that he's going to fulfill it. Can you imagine an angel declaring something as powerful as, you know, the written prophetic scripture to be fulfilled in the life of your own child. I mean, whoa. And Zechariah says, how can this be? And the angel says, you know what, bro, you said too much. You're going to be quiet for a while. Watch, stand still and see, and see what God will do. So let's look at the verses. It says, uh, the angel said, verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. and She will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, before the Lord, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zechariah says, how could this be? And, and he, the angel says, okay, for a minute, you're not going to be able to talk. And so we're in our city, we, ex- we have experienced a... Um, Silencing of the prophetic voice. We, uh, we have prophetic ministry in different pockets, but we don't have a whole lot of uh, recognizable prophets. Now, we might have people that put profit on their um, business card, but we don't have a whole lot that don't have to put profit on their business card. Does that make sense? And we might have many that use a title apostle, but we don't have hardly any that don't have to use the title. For when they are a prophet, when they are an apostle, they don't have to call themselves such. The Lord will confirm it through them in such dramatic ways, it's obvious. And so we are in a situation right now where the foundations, because the foundations of the church are built, Ephesians tells us, on the foundation of the, the apostles and the prophets. And I believe that's the foundational apostles and prophets uh, from the, the early church. But I also believe that God always builds his church on the foundations of apostles and prophets. That's what he does. And in our city, we've had a challenge because um, many of the uh, apostle, uh, apostolic ministries have... Um, have either gone a different direction or are not, um, they're not uh, visible. 
And the prophetic voice has been largely silenced. And so our foundations are challenged. And when we don't have solid foundations, we don't have buildings in the kingdom. We don't have stuff built on kingdom stuff, is my point. We might have massive membership, but we don't have kingdom authority. You see what I'm saying? We might have massive structures, but we don't have significance in the spirit. And God wants to release significance in the spirit through a church that's based on on the foundations that are biblical. And he wants to release the apostolic ministry and he wants to release the prophetic ministry. And I want to say this, that there is coming a great wave of the release of the apostolic to our city. There's coming a great wave of the release of the prophetic to our city. And you you won't have to wonder, um, you know, when the guy's using the title, you won't have to wonder, I wonder if he's really one. You'll know. When the prophetic voice is released and it shifts things in the spirit and then God gives the sign in the heavens that confirms the word, you will know, and I want to proclaim it, that there is coming a great release of the prophetic in our city. God is going to restore that foundation. He's going to restore the apostolic foundation. He's going to give us uh, city fathers where we haven't had city fathers in this this city. He's going to give us city fathers that have um, authority in the Spirit to uproot and to plant and to move things in the Spirit. They're going to be humble and meek. They're going to absolutely love the church, be in love with the bride. They're going to be kind. You'll see them operating in love. They're not just going to be this austere, really curt person, you know, sort of just demanding everybody to get things done. And you go, well, what's him? Well, he's the apostle. No, no, no. They will be humble and meek. They'll be friends of the bridegroom. They will love Jesus and love his people. And they'll be so, they will be so um, almost, you know, uh, I mean, just meek. The word I'm thinking is almost timid and, and kind and gentle. They'll be so gentle and have such authority, it'll be a shock to the entire system. They'll look just like Jesus. You know, Jesus, he, you know, he wasn't like, hey, disciples, over here, carry my bag. Pete, come on. I've got a plane to catch. I've got a ministry engagement. And Jesus bent down and washed filth off of the feet of his 12 closest guys. And it wasn't just, oh, he did the one act of service. No, that was an entire, it was a prophetic metaphor for the entire way that Jesus had conducted himself. And there are coming to our city, God is going to raise them up. Fathers with that kind of meekness, but with authority to shift the power bases. They're coming to our city. God will raise them up. Apostles who will be meek. And they will have authority to shift things in the spirit. There will be prophets who will have the word of the Lord with confirmed signs and wonders. They will speak with the revelation, the heart of the man Christ Jesus, the testimony of heaven. They will speak, and a thing will be established and decreed, and it will be done. And God is going to give us back the prophetic and the apostolic foundations. That wasn't just for you. Okay, good. So, the way he's going to do this 
is he's going to release this, call, this thing called the spirit of Elijah. And he's going he's gonna to chi- shift. He's going to change the atmosphere. He's going to release a great turning. He is going to create a new testimony in our city. He's going to create a new storyline of power and authority that's got kingdom reality to it. That is coming. And so there's, there's about five features that I know of. There's probably more. There's probably 25. But there's five features that I, that I can see in the scripture about the spirit of Elijah. And I just want to spend the rest of our time dealing with that. He outlines it and we see it in uh, John the Baptist. But here's the point I want to make about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we really only see it in part. And Jesus gives us the... the uh, Commentary on John the Baptist's life, and, and he says uh, about John the Baptist, he says, He is the Elijah that is to come, yet Elijah is still to come. So Jesus says about John the Baptist, He is the Elijah that is to come, yet Elijah is still coming. And what's Jesus talking about? I believe he's talking about, the, uh, in one measure, the entire generation of believers that will be operating under the power and the spirit of Elijah in the earth just prior to the return of the Lord. Just as before the Lord came the first time, God sends John the Baptist as the forerunner to prepare the way. When the Lord comes the second time, an entire generation will have this spirit released upon them to prepare the way of the Lord and make ready, make straight his path. And I don't believe it's going to be just one man. I believe it's going to be an entire company of believers that are going to enter into the spiritual reality. And so let's look at it. Five features. It says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So the first one is that he turns that spirit. The spirit of Elijah released on the people turns a nation back to God. There is coming power and prophetic proclamations. We've heard lots of messages, and I, I spend time um, grateful and, and unsettled that when I speak, men are not cut to the quick. I, I'm grateful for the measure of, of, of anointing the Lord allows me to step in and that, he, that He'll release, but I spend time in weeping that not just my voice, but that we don't have voices that proclaim a word and it pins men to the wall. And I just, I think about the times when God has released apostolic authority on different messengers and, and I think about, you know, uh, you know, Finney. And I think about, um, you know, the times when he would proclaim and, and he, would, he would proclaim so intensely, people would be trembling and they'd fall out of their seats and, and then he wouldn't give an altar call for salvation. He'd let them sit there and deal with it. They're under conviction. They want to get saved, and he'd make them wait. I, he wasn't trying to fill an altar for a good newsletter testimony. He wanted conversions. And he would let, he would let them sit there and, and wail and travail. And say, now, who wants to give their life and surrender their life to Jesus? And, and many would say, we, we want it, we want it. And he'd go, come back tomorrow. And he'd let the conviction do a deep work, tilling the fallow ground of the stony heart. 
So then when they would pray the prayer of commitment, it wouldn't simply be another check mark in some box. It would be the transformation of the Spirit. And I think about John Wesley. There's so many. I could just sit there and do this for the rest of the time, but I won't. John Wesley, and I just love his diary. And when you read his diary and you read the excerpts, and I've just read little, little spots of it, little pieces of it, and it'll say, it'll, it'll read like this. Went to such and such church, was kicked out and asked to never return. Next day, went to such and such church, was kicked out and asked to never return. Went to such and such assembly, was kicked out and asked to never return. Was forbidden from ever speaking again in this denomination. And then it'll say, Saturday, went to such and such graveyard. 20,000 gathered, 10,000 were hopefully converted. I just think about the testimonies of revivalists, and they talk about proclaiming the word with power. And, 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 I, and I'm thinking of one where he said, the, the revivalist said he was proclaiming with such authority that if he had swords in both hands, he couldn't have cut the people out of their seats fast enough. As, as they were falling they were, they were falling under the weight of his words and had he had swords in both hands he couldn't have made them fall any faster just under the proclamation of the apostolic word preaching the gospel shifting the nation I'm asking God to give us authority and I'm talking about not just us in the house but I'm talking about a the the church in this city to give us authority to proclaim the word that shifts the entire climate of the spiritual atmosphere and it really turns a nation back to God. I mean, for real. We don't just grow in numbers, but we grow in conversions. Real hearts change and transform. I want to propose to you, if we really had the born-again experience, can a man be born again? If we really had the born-again experience, we wouldn't be number one in sex slave trade in our city. We wouldn't be tipping the scales in abortions. If we really had this thing, if we had the gospel that's the power of God into salvation, I want to propose to you, the environment of our city would be different. When God releases the spirit of Elijah, he turns the nation. And he's going to turn our city. He is going to release it. He promised in Malachi. It's not a possible. It's not a maybe. He didn't give us a caveat. He said, I will release Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord. And he will turn. And a great turning is coming. It is coming. And we'll see power proclamations with authority. And it will have its final culmination in the full salvation of the nation of Israel. The spirit of Elijah, that forerunner spirit, has this as its foundational reality. All Israel shall be saved. They shall be saved. That precious jewel that's in the eyes of the Lord, that one that he's dreamed about possessing from eternity past, that place of ground that he's claimed as his own in Jerusalem, and the people that he's put in that place that he brought through Abraham, he said, I will make them like a jewel, a diadem in the hand of the king. 
And when he releases the spirit of Elijah, I guarantee you that will have as a reality all up in it. It will have the burden of the Lord for his people Israel. Jesus is a Jewish man. And he is yearning for his people to know the Father and receive his blood sacrifice. Second, he said John would come in the the spirit and the power of Elijah. It's revelatory and it's power manifestations. Elijah the prophet had some of the most stunning power manifestations and revelations. I mean, just... You, you just read them, I and you just—I mean—it just sounds like, it sounds like science fiction. He speaks to the sky, and he stops it from raining for three and a half years. Three and a half years of drought at his own word. I love what James says. He goes, "Well, Elijah was a man with faith like ours. We can step into that same reality." That's what James is trying to tell us. So when he spoke and he prayed, the heavens were shut. And then when he spoke again, the heavens were opened. See, I believe God's releasing a whole generation that will speak. And when they do, the spiritual drought will end. The heavens will open. Elijah called down fire from heaven and it devoured a hundred men. Elijah raised a boy from the dead. Elijah ran faster than Ahab's chariot. See, I believe all of those manifestations that we saw through Elijah's ministry, we're going to see those at the end of the age. In fact, we already know that the two witnesses, when they come, they're going to speak and shut up the heavens for three and a half years. They're going to shut up the rain. And anybody that tries to harm them, fire gets called down from heaven and devours that, those individuals that try to harm the two witnesses. I just want to propose that perhaps one of the two witnesses is Elijah. Just a thought. Jesus said, that guy, Elijah, that real guy is coming. I believe one of the two witnesses is Elijah. But I believe we're going to see this thing in, in measures upon a whole company of believers at the end of the age. Elijah speaks and governmental, uh, governmental power systems are shifted. He prophesies one out and prophesies another in. In fact, nobody could ascend unless the Lord told Elijah to a, into a governmental position, unless the Lord told Elijah to anoint them and pray them in. That's the prophetic voice. It moves the power bases. That's coming on a generation of believers, beloved. It's coming upon us. I like the ran ahead of Ahab's chariot. I know my boys will love to have supernatural speed at the end of the age. That one's just cool. When Elijah spoke, he prophesied the death of Jezebel. And that's what the Lord is going to release in our city. A prophetic decree that's going to break the back of that woman Jezebel that instructs the servants of God to commit sexual immorality. He's going to release a prophetic decree through the spirit of Elijah in our city that's going to turn it around. It's going to shut abortion down. It's going to send revival in the gay and lesbian community. God is going to release that through the prophetic decree Third, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And I believe the Lord is going to, in our generation, 
raise up and restore apostolic leadership in the body of Christ. There's a little bitty church. I don't even know what the name of the church is. As I, I was driving here tonight, I'll, I have to pass it on the way. It's right there off the street where we live. And, uh, and it's, they put up their sign. I guess it's for Father's Day for next weekend. And I just looked at that sign. I went, man, that's revelation on that sign. And the sign says this. A father is to declare the nature of our eternal father. I went, who, who is in there? Who's, who goes to that church? See, that's what God's going to do. Here, here's, where, here's where the thing, somebody goes, turn the hearts of the fathers, the sons, hearts of the sons to the fathers, or the children, hearts of the fathers, the children, hearts of the children, the fathers. How does that work? Here's what God does. He goes, I'm going to put in place apostolic leadership. I'm going to put in place uh, leaders who are going to have my spirit upon them in such a measure that when you look at them, the way that they will conduct themselves will be a proclamation of the very nature and the heart of who I am as an eternal father. And so that proclamation of the nature and the name of the Father in the earth is a different testimony than the testimony that's been released. And when the Father proclaims His name through His church, then the church all of a sudden begins to have a revelation of who the Father is. And when the church understands who the Father is, All of a sudden, the church moves out of an orphan mentality. All of a sudden, the church begins to believe she's got an inheritance. All of a sudden, the church begins to believe that she is something different to the father than just some slave. She she steps into the spirit of adoption. And when she steps into the spirit of adoption, she operates in in the sons of God mentality. Romans 8 tells us that the earth is waiting for the revealing of the sons. Of God, what's it talking about? It's talking about the church to, rev- to to get the revelation of who she is and her inheritance as one's born of the Spirit of the Eternal Father. And I tell you what, if we get this, that we are children of the Most High God, nothing will be held back from us. Nothing will be held back from us. The power that will be released, the powers of the age to come are signs, wonders, and miracles. When you see a sign, wonder, and a miracle in this life, Hebrews 6 tells us it's a power of the age to come. When the church understands their identity as sons, they realize they've got an inheritance in the age to come, and those things of the age to come, that inheritance is also in part theirs right now. And so when they get that revelation of sonship, they can manifest what they've already received from the good father. See, this connecting of why God wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers has everything to do with the proclamation of his nature and the reality of the kingdom come in the earth. And that is the epicenter, it's the core reality of this turning. He is going to proclaim his own nature. And when there's, been a, when there's been a perversion of the knowledge of God, there's been a perversion of the nature of God, God is going to possess an entire generation with the spirit of Elijah is going to raise up fathers, and those fathers are going to live out the reality of what the father looks like. They're going to be a living testimony and a proclamation of the nature of our good eternal father. And when that testimony goes forth, I promise you, you'll see the church begin to operate as sons in the Spirit. Not servants and not slaves, but sons. 
when we get our identity as sons, beloved, show me a prince that doesn't know that they're a prince. You got the guy that's the number one son of the guy that's the, you know, royal guy over whatever the country is. That prince, man, he walks in and guess what? Everything moves when he says. Is he the guy in charge? No. He's just the son. Why does everything move? Because he knows the authority that he has. And for the church to operate in power signs and wonders at the end of the age, the church will have to know the sonship, know this reality of sonship. And that's what the turning is. The fathers turn. And then the the next one is the children turn. They turn from the, the ways of disobedience. They turn. To the fathers. And what God does is he does this ridiculous thing called a generational mending. And he places the generations together. And he takes the wisdom of the old and the zeal of the young. And he mixes them together in a spirit of sonship with the spirit of adoption. He mixes that whole thing together. And a kingdom come reality is released in the earth. The young generation, beloved, we've got to get it. We need fathers. We need gray-headed people. To tell us, that's dumb, little buddy. Don't do that. And the older generation, we need young people that are zealous, that'll go and attack hell with a water pistol. And they don't understand you can't do that. We need them. So it's the turning of the hearts of the fathers. It's the turning of the hearts of the children. The children will embrace the ways of the fathers. See, the ways of the fathers, it's not just the fathers of this generation, but it's the fathers of every generation. It's the fathers that have walked the path of the gospel. It's the fathers that have given themselves to the character and the culture of the kingdom. It's the fathers that have loved and served and given. It's the fathers that have lived lives of fasting and prayer. It's the fathers that have lived in simplicity and when the young generation takes their zeal and applies it to a culture that's the kingdom culture and really lives out the culture of the kingdom of God, I tell you, there will be a unique convergence of power and zeal and the culture of God. We will live in a kingdom come reality. And so the young generation, here's what we really don't need. Listen right now. We really don't need to take all the cool things of the world and try to just go ahead and do that in the church. We really, really, really don't need that. What we really, really, really do need is to find out what the Sermon on the Mount says, which is the character and the culture of the kingdom of God, and instruct an entire young generation to give their lives to serving and giving, fasting and prayer, to love, humility, to to, uh, living simply in this life, and forgiving offenses. And if a young generation full of zeal and passion will live that culture and that character, the kingdom will come in power. That's what the turning of the hearts of the fathers to the children, what the turning of the children to the fathers is all about. And this thing will be walked out in dramatic measures in our city. And I am saying it right now, loud. God is going to raise up apostolic fathers in this city with turned hearts toward a whole generation of the young and God is going to turn the hearts of the generation of the young to the ways of the father the culture of the kingdom will be manifest and the kingdom of God will come in the earth in this city it will be a result as of the release of the spirit of Elijah mm-hmm. I'm glad you guys are here with me for this 
Finally, they prepare a people for the return of the Lord. Those with the spirit of Elijah upon them. You know, Jesus looked at the generation that John the Baptist was in, and he said, you played the dirge. We played the dirge, and you did not mourn. He said, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. What was he saying with that? I'll tell you what he was saying. He was saying, you have not comprehended what it means to be living in a generation where the spirit of Elijah is being released. Because you don't understand the unique time and destiny that's upon this generation. For had you understood it, you would have danced when we played the flute, and you would, um, yeah, you would have danced when we played the flute, and you would have mourned when we played the dir- mourned when we played the dirge. What's he talking about? He's saying this, that in God, there are dramatic highs and lows. There's mourning and celebration. There's a unique mix. We call it the romance of the gospel. It's the highs and the lows of living your life and abandonment to God. It's not always happy, but sometimes it is. It's not always, you know, low, but sometimes it is. It's the mourning and the dance together. And what God is looking for in this generation is a people who are keen to the hour in which they live. They're in tune to this hour. They understand with, with an Issachar understanding of the hour and the time and the seasons in which we live. And if we could understand that we are living in a generation where the spirit of Elijah is being released, it would absolutely shock and shift the way we live our lives. We would no longer give ourselves to wantonness. We'd no longer give ourselves to, to you know, finding other lovers and finding other things that will satisfy our souls. We would give ourselves headlong into the pursuit of the man Christ Jesus. Do you perceive what it means to live in a generation that has got a prophetic destiny upon it to prepare the way of the Lord? It's hard to make the leap sometimes in our mind. We get so anchored to the here and now, but beloved... God says in Isaiah 62, he said, I will set watchmen on the wall who will not hold their peace day and night until I make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Beloved, how did it happen? I really don't know. But we're standing in the middle of one of those. Guys call me all the time. They show up. They email me. Hey, dude, how do you do that? I was just with a guy this weekend. He came in from Dallas. Hey, we, we're going to do this night and day, 24-7 in Dallas. We're going to go for it. I go, bro, it's great. Is there anything else you can do? Unless God holds you at gunpoint, do not do this. Oh, no, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I go, well, bro, okay. And I take him through the spiel, and I go, listen, if this is what it is, you've got to make a, a commitment for 50 years. Actually, I was kind of nice on this guy. I told him 25 years. I was sitting there with Angie Yugen. I go, what do you think, Angie? She goes, I don't know why you, t- I'm right in front of the guy. She goes, I don't know why you told him 25 years. You told all us 50. I went, that's a good point. I try to be nice to him. But the idea that God is bubbling this reality up all over the place and he's releasing the revelation of doing night and day prayer, we are living in the fulfillment of Isaiah 62 and it's a shock because you can't make this happen by man's zeal. Do you perceive what it means to live in a generation that is gifted with the dramatic promise of preparing the way of the Lord? Oh, that that would echo through our hearts. 
that that word would pierce us. We wouldn't give ourselves to the mundane and the business as usual and doing things that don't matter, but we would give ourselves to something that has kingdom effect to it. Those operating under the spirit of Elijah will call the bride to readiness. Because I tell you, the bridegroom is coming. The call is being released in the earth. The bridegroom is coming. And those that are putting oil in their lamps right now, those that are buying oil right now, they will be found prepared in that hour. But listen to me. There will be virgins that will have lamps, who will have had oil, who will not be prepared. And oh, that we would be a forerunner people. And oh, that this would grip our hearts. And we would live with a a lens that's different than just trying to make six figures and live with a nice house, sun, and tree in our picture. But we would give ourselves an abandonment and pour ourselves and lavish affection on the man Christ Jesus. Stay in that place of intimacy until authority is released. To cry out for the governmental structures to shift over our city. It's not okay with me. It's not okay with me that my words don't have the authority to cut men out of their chairs. It's not okay with me that we murder babies all day long in our city and we barely blink. It's not okay with me that the homosexual community has found our city a ripe hub for their stuff. It's not okay with me that we trade children for sexual favors and money in our city. It's not okay. The Father says it's not okay with Him. And He is going to turn it around. His Father heart is going to bring a turning, a shifting. He's going to release the spirit of Elijah on an entire generation, beloved. This is who we are. This is who we are. A forerunner people commissioned at the end of the age to prepare the way of the Lord. It is what we will do. We will have one mandate. Worship and praise and pray and love Jesus lavishly till he comes. We will mix that with a character and a culture that is the Sermon on the Mount, the culture of the kingdom of God. Until a kingdom come, will be done reality, is released in our city. Authority is going to come. It's going to shift the power bases. Power, signs and wonders and miracles are going to come. We are going to see the power and the spirit of Elijah released. There's going to be a generational rift that will be mended before our eyes. Apostolic leaders and fathers will pop up all over our city. The prophetic voice will be restored in our city. And there will be a massive turning And the way of the Lord will be prepared in this city. How do I know? Because God said the Father's plan will come to pass. That's what's going to happen. I proclaim it to us. There will be a ready bride at the end of the age. She will be moving in power. Worship team, you can come. 
she will be operating in an intercessory spirit. She will have the cry, Come, Lord Jesus. She will be operating in sync with the Holy Spirit. She will be abandoned in love. I tell you, when the church experiences the turning of the fathers to the children, and the children experience the turning of the fathers and the revelation of the Father heart of God, and their hearts are turned, and we have the generational rift mended, and we see the fathers turn to the children, the children turn to the fathers, a well-fathered generation will experience a well-married reality. And they will be prepared in heart to be married to the man Christ Jesus. Release it to us, God, the spirit of Elijah. Let's just go ahead and stand. We need a turning. We need a turning. 